0: The Voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents The Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler.
1: Take it away, gentlemen. The West Virginia Mountaineers take on the Texas Longhorns in Morgantown. You can catch the game at noon on ESPN2. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. So before we get into the Texas game, we just kind of wanted to um, get some breaking news out of the way Uh, West Virginia had two recruits decommit running back Justin Williams and wide receiver Kevin Thomas. Um, Brandon posted the tweet relaying this information, and some knuckle-draggers wanted to get their panties on a twist about it, so I'm going to go a little nuclear to start this podcast. So, listen, I'll read the exact tweet. This is what it was, word for word. Justin Williams was WVU's fourth-highest-ranked Recruit in this class, Kevin Thomas was our seventh highest. Their decommitments today are a big hit, not a good day for Mountaineer Nation, and hopefully, not the start of a trend. That was it. That was the tweet. Um, and some people got angry at this. Not a lot, you know, you're always gonna get a couple angry people, but um, you know, this isn't good news, it is disappointing, and hopefully, more recruits don't do this. So I don't understand what the problem with that tweet is. It, I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty big coach Brown. Um, You know, I make excuses for him a lot. I really do because I I feel like we should back our coaches. It's not always easy. And I I try to be patient with them, but uh, I feel like some fans are just going too far with, you know, they get offended with no matter what people say, even when you have any little critique about what's going on at the school They want to get angry. Um, Now, with that being said, let's talk about the piles that tweet directly to these kids. Like, these are 17, 18-year-old kids. Don't be mad because they said they're 100% committed. These kids get caught up in the hype. The fan base praises them, and they say stuff that they later take back. So, I mean, that doesn't give anyone the right to message these kids, to bash them. You can voice your concerns. You can say you're disappointed, because we all are. Uh, but no way is that okay to bash young kids and send hateful messages. You're making us all look bad. So quit acting like a bunch of middle school jackoffs. And that's the end of my rant. I'll let Brandon take
0: over. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree. That was actually one of my first bullet points too, is it seems like sometimes our fans are a little bit more critical of these kids who haven't even set foot on campus yet um, than, than our coaches. Um, and, you know, these kids don't owe us anything until they set foot on campus, even after they sign that letter of intent doesn't mean they're going to show up. It could be with grades or it could be they just want to end up going to JUCO or something else, or, you know, they find a way out. Um, It happens every year. So, I mean, we can't take these kids for granted. And that's something that we've been talking about quite a bit, um, you know, on the podcast is, you know, we do have a really good recruiting class coming in, but that's all they are right now are recruits. Nothing is promised. And we just need to kind of stop acting like these kids owe us something because they don't. I mean, they need to go what's best for them. And sometimes it's NIL. Um, sponsorship. Sometimes it's just more playing time. Sometimes they see the product on the field and they're just like, "I don't want to play in that system." And you can't really blame them for that because when I watch WVU, I wouldn't want to play in that system. Now, obviously, everyone's different. Some people want more of a challenge. Someone, some people want to go out there and make a difference. But you know, you can't expect every recruit to want to come in and do that. You know, that's not how some people are built, and you can't really force people to think that way. And, you know, to the point about how we're not really holding our coaches accountable, you know, I see way too many people kind of defending coaches and saying, you know, we shouldn't talk loudly about how our coaches aren't performing um, because it's driving recruits away. And I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, I've said that out on social media several times that, you know, the recruits know more about football than we do. They do this for a living, and most of them want to do this professionally. So, you know, they study tape. They understand how offenses work. They understand a bad product when they see it. They don't need us you know, insignificant peons to tell them when something is bad. So we need to redirect our energy and get the coaches to put out something that not only is something that we're proud of, but something that other people want to go out there and play for. Um, It's important. I mean, the head coach of WVU is a public employee. It is the highest paid state employee of the state of West Virginia. And, you know, we kind of act like they're, you know, some sort of deity out there that they can't be touched. That, you know, they should just give them time, let them have, you know, their way because we trust them. But, it you know, we got to hold them to a standard. You have to, especially when you have that title of highest paid state employee, when you're running a team of 90 young men and you have, you know, direct reports of more than 10 to 12 people reporting to you. um, You know, you've got to do your job and you've got to have your ducks in a row and you've got to figure out a way to win. In the past three seasons, we haven't really seen that. And kind of the one thing, too, that that irritates me is like the hypocrisy when it comes to the way our fans handle things. I mean, uh, it seems like a lot more people were vocal, people being okay with being vocal when Holgerson was here because he was just kind of a jackass. I mean, people didn't like him. Um, And I don't blame you. He wasn't good with the media. Um, He didn't really seem to love the state like other coaches have. And when Bill Stewart was here, you know, you had the spam fan base split whenever he lost that head coaching position um, rightfully or wrongfully. I mean, because of the way he spoke and the way he represented the university. And I think Neil fits more into that bill Stewart category than a Neil, than a Dana Holgerson category. And I think that's why some people embrace him a little bit more because he talks and it seems like he's giving real answers, but it's one thing to give real answers and make real change than to give real answers and then constantly see the same mistakes on the field over and over again. So I would just like to see more consistency. I mean, those people who are calling out Deggie or calling out Brown <laughs> on their uh, social media accounts or on message boards only to come attack certain websites like, you know, podcasts like ours and then the Voice of Motown website like Brad's, I understand, you know, you, you have to have some sort of, um, I guess, tolerance for some of the stuff he puts out. But I mean, there's a reason for it. And he speaks the truth most of the time. It's just sometimes hard to hear. And there is some, there is some spin on it, I mean, but that's part of the business. So um yeah, I just, you know, it, it's sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and realize, you know, what you really want is something that you're being critical of. So um, we all want WVU to be great. We all want um, the school to be better. And I, I think WVU is an above average to good college program. <laughs> so I think we should all kind of redirect our frustrations And stop arguing with ourselves and kind of let our voices direct this program the way it wants to go, the way we want it to go. And that's to be, you know, no problem getting into a bowl game every year. um, Have a chance at a 10 win season every now and then maybe even a big 12 title and, you know, just put out a product that we're all proud of. Um, So that's kind of where I stand on all that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. You made a lot of good points and, um, I think everything that you said uh, played a factor in these guys decommitting. I think the NILs had something to do with it. The fact that we're, uh, you know, in Morgantown, West Virginia, and we don't have, say, the alumni or people to back us to to pay these kids because it's a different ballgame now that they can make money. And so you're going to see this happen. And I, I think we would be lying to ourselves if we said the product that we've been putting on the field, especially on offense, doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm sure it does. Um, so it is disappointing. Like I said earlier, I'm probably more of a, a Neil Brown apologist than, than you or a lot of other people, but you know, it comes to a point where, you know, like I said last week, like enough talking, I, show me something. Cause Neil Brown does say all the right things. He takes credit for when they, um, He takes blame, I should say, when they don't perform. And I like that. That's what you should do when you're making the big bucks and and you got the top spot. But uh, after a while, I I don't want to hear it anymore. I just want to see it. I want to see it get better on the field. So I don't know. I think you're right. We need to quit arguing with ourselves because we're we're all coming from the same place. We all want West Virginia to be better. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, Yeah, we had to get that off our chest.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's you know important to say too. We don't want Neil Brown fired right now. We just want him to make changes that makes the program better. Um, if we wanted Neil Brown fired, we would say so. We're not one to walk around and you know make up stories to to sell a narrative. We are very straightforward with the things that we say and the things that we you know try to present. So um, we hope Neil turns it around. I think it'd be a great thing for the university, but we need to kind of keep the pressure on to make sure that he's making the changes that we all
1: expect. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it can start this Saturday. So let's get right into it. Let's kind of recap uh, how we got here. The Mountaineers are coming off of a 34 to 17 defeat from Kansas State, while Texas is coming off of a devastating overtime loss to the Kansas Jayhawks, 57 to 56. It's been rough for the Longhorns and Steve Sarkeesian's first year. Um, They currently hold the same record as West Virginia at four and six and their best offensive player, uh, Dijon Robinson, is done for the year with an elbow injury. So how do you feel about the game on Saturday?
0: Um, So part of me feels kind of optimistic because this team seems like the perfect time to be playing Texas. Um, It seems like a team that we should be able to beat without too much problem. Um, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means, but I, I do think it's a very winnable game. But with that being said, my big concern is, you know, this game is just as important for Texas as it is us. We come in with the same record. We both want to become bowl eligible. And so we both need to win. And Texas just got embarrassed by Kansas. I mean, no one in the Big 12 loses to Kansas anymore. So that's a little bit of fire underneath them to go out there and prove themselves in this game, even without their best player on the team. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see if they come out flat, if maybe they've given up on Sarkeesian. Um, I know I'm not a big fan of him, so uh, I never really understood that hire, but, um, you know, or if WVU can come out and take advantage or if WVU comes out flat, it's going to be really interesting to see. Cause I think it's not only going to tell how the game goes, but how, you know, the long-term coaching hires for both our schools go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is it for West Virginia and Texas. I mean, it's not their last games of the season, but it sure feels like it coming in just because if they lose, uh, you know, they have no chance of making a bowl game for not only West Virginia, but for Texas as well. So let's not act like, you know, they think their season's over. They're going to be coming in angry after that Kansas loss and trying to win as well. So I know a lot of fans don't think it's important to make it to a lower tier bowl. But it absolutely is for many reasons. The school gets increased exposure on national television. This leads to increased donations from al- alumni, um, increased student applications, which I'm sure most fans don't think about. But um, the school is gaining more money, which is good for all of us because that helps to pay for our sports teams that we love, our coaching salaries, facilities that help get recruits to come here. So it is big whether you know everyone wants to admit it or not. The team gets more practice if they play in a bowl game, which this group absolutely needs. I could go on and on. So absolutely, I want to make it to a bowl game. I think it would be huge. Um, And to say that you don't want to make it to one, I feel like, you know, fans are just being negative or ignorant because all those things I just listed are important. So as you said, Texas, it's a winnable game. Obviously, they have talent down in Austin. They recruit four- and five-star players, so West Virginia can't underestimate them at all. But the Longhorns, they started the year at 4-1 and before losing five straight games. I'll repeat, they are on a five-game losing streak right now. So Texas is reeling, and if you look at those four wins they got early in the year, they beat Louisiana, who is and 9-1, so credit to them. But, I mean, that's a lower-tier school. They beat Rice, who's not very good this year. They beat Texas Tech, who's had lots of problems, had to fire their coach. And they beat TCU, lots of problems, had to fire their coach. So and not exactly Murderer's Row when they got that four and one start at the beginning of the year. Um so you know, as we said earlier, this is a team without their best offensive player and Bijan Robinson. If West Virginia doesn't win out and make a bowl game, they have no one to blame except themselves at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And while Texas has been losing quite a bit, it's not because of their offense. I mean, their offense is explosive. They're averaging 38 points a game. Um, they're converting 45% of their third down conversions. Um, a lot of that had to do with Bijan Robinson. But, you know, their defense is bad. Um, and they've been in some shootouts, as you saw with the Kansas game. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how WVU's defense matches up. And a lot, I think a lot of that's going to have to do with how we – handle the field position battle. I mean, Texas keeps control of the ball. They get first downs. I mean, I, I was looking through their um, entire game log and their average possession has almost seven plays in it. I mean, they, they, they've they only had gone less than four plays during a drive on 7% of their total possessions. So they're a team who's going to move the ball. They're efficient and they're going to figure out how to run the ball on you. Um, so... It's going to be a really interesting matchup to see if we can contain them.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. It's no secret Texas likes to run the football and even with Robinson out, uh they'll probably still rely heavily on that run against West Virginia. And like you said, this is an offense that lights up the scoreboard, um you know, 37-38 points per game, it's crazy. And I know Bijan Robinson's done for the year but uh you know before we talk about everyone else on their team i just want to take a moment and acknowledge the spectacular season that kid had he finished with over 1400 total yards 15 touchdowns he will definitely be missed by texas but um you know that doesn't mean texas's offense can't lay up a scoreboard their backups roshan johnson um Killian robinson and jonathan brooks they'll probably share the workload with Johnson getting a majority of those handoffs. But all of those guys have big playability. Um, I haven't seen anything lately about Keelan Robinson. I know he was out last week with COVID, but I think he'll be back. Mm-hmm. So um, what's your thoughts on the Longhorns running game without uh, B. Robinson playing?
0: Yeah. Um, so I was looking at their depth chart before this, and they do have Roshan Johnson listed as the lead back. Mm-hmm. The One thing I thought was interesting about him is despite only having 50 carries on the season, he does have 3 TDs and he's also averaging more yards per carry than Bijan Robinson 6.3 um he's not as much of a threat in the passing game as Bijan was but you know he's still a very good runner um you know it's kind of hard to say how good he is in that small sample size but again Texas puts out good running backs I mean to, to the NFL and they always have high quality guys so I wouldn't think that just because this guy's the backup he doesn't have it he's just behind one of the best backs in the game and it's hard to Steel carries away from something like that.
1: Yeah. And if I remember correctly, he actually um, hurt us. It was either last year, or the year before, maybe both years. I definitely remember him having success against West Virginia. So um, yeah, there's, there's still going to be uh, scary running the football. So let's talk about their other threats on offense. Junior Casey Thompson, a tool, a dual threat quarterback. I feel like we've been uh, versing a lot of dual threat quarterbacks lately but, uh, he has some nice passing numbers in certain games this year. Although he's selective about when he runs the football, he can certainly hurt you with his legs when that opportunity is there. Um, and with all that being said, coach Steve, uh, Sarkeesian is not afraid to bench him when struggling. I, I didn't know this. So I really started doing some digging, but he's been benched a few times this year for freshman Hudson card. Um, And he's already received some significant playing time in certain games. So West Virginia has a tough defense that is more than capable of getting in Texas's backfield and disrupting Casey Thompson. So it'll be interesting to see that matchup on Saturday. What are your thoughts on Casey Thompson?
0: So I think I figured out what Casey Thompson's weakness is and it's every other quarterback's weakness and that's pressure. Um, So I was looking at all their game stats um, and when he gets sacked more than twice, he has a 58% completion percentage, which is down about 5% from his average. Nine touchdowns to four interceptions, and that's a total sample size of four games. But when he gets sacked one time or less, his completion percentage jumps up to 71% with 14 touchdowns and three interceptions, and that's six games. Now, a lot of those were the beginning of the season games where they were playing the you know, the Louisiana's, Rice's, et cetera. But still, I mean, I think WVU has a good enough pass rush to get back there and make him uncomfortable. And if you can get pressure on him, you can definitely mess him up. Now, with that being said, they do have a really, really deadly receiver out there in Xavier Worthy. Um, 49 catches, 831 yards, 11 TDs, and he is a freshman, 17 yards per catch. Um, So he's definitely someone that um, is going to line up on the outside against Daryl Porter and Charles Woods and give them a really hard time because he is a very talented player.
1: He absolutely is. I I actually think they're going to be looking his way more than even normal since they're missing Robinson this game. So that's definitely a name to look out for. It's hard to believe this guy's a freshman because he is so special. Few teams have found ways to slow him down. Um, And in the games, when he gets going, he absolutely goes off. Four games with over 100 yards even a 200 yard game. I believe it was against Oklahoma. So in those 11 touchdowns, that's a freshman record at Texas and think of, you know, of all the great players that have gone through Texas. He has that record. So, uh, yeah. How can West Virginia slow the freshman down? What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I I was looking at uh, some PFF data, um, before this podcast, and I, I was actually surprised to see how highly graded Charles Woods Woods was in the the coverage department. So uh, we talked about this before, and I haven't really dug into kind of how he's grading out until now, but it does seem like our pass defense has gotten a lot better with him back there. So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe not necessarily one-on-one, maybe with some safety help um, he can help slow him down because he definitely seems to be the type of guy who's really good at staying in front of guys, not letting big plays. And he's also capable of a, a pass deflection or two every game, and um getting himself in place to at least have a chance at a pick because he already has one and then last week he dropped one so he has a nose for the ball um hopefully maybe he can come up with another one this week
1: yeah i'm with you and like like you said earlier i have seen you know a lot of people saying that texas is um you know they're prone to give up pressure up front which is great for us because you know as we know our line can can get to the quarterback i think that'll play a big factor if they put pressure on them then you might be able to cancel out where these uh big play ability we'll see them
0: oh yeah and you know looking at the, their offensive line um they are not a very good pass protection team um they're pretty average they actually are the second to last or i should say they have the second most sacks against in the big 12 um they have three less than we have given up so we're bottom they're second to worst so um, their offensive line isn't very good. Their right tackle was good, but their left tackle was actually really, really bad at pass blocking. Um, he's their worst um, player. So bringing some pressure off there won't hurt. Um, and he's not very good at run blocking either, but you know, the, their two guards are kind of where they make their money running. That Those two guys really control things. They make holes, they make things happen. So, you know, the two guards, the right tackle are kind of where they're going to try to run behind, but I think they're susceptible all across the board um against pass rushes so it's going to be really interesting to see how we attack them um i know we like to run a lot of twists especially on third down but i'd like to see us bring you know four maybe five guys more often um to see if we can get in casey thompson's head a little bit and uh just make some plays in the backfield
1: yeah i'm with you i think the biggest thing will be is uh field position which uh are you ready to get into texas's defense and our offense yeah Let's do it. So um, their defense, it it allows a lot of rushing yards and a lot of points, pretty much exactly what their offense does. Um, So Texas is allowing 204 rushing yards per game and 32 points per game. So that's encouraging for our offense. Um, Hopefully West Virginia sticks to a run first mentality. I think that'll be a big factor. Let the running game open up the passing game instead of the other way around. We seem to start games with a balanced running attack, and then we abandon that plan as the game goes on. I don't know if that's because, uh, you know, we we get down early a lot and, and they, they kind of lose focus. Um, so we'll see what Coach Brown and Parker have in mind on Saturday, but it's important to note that West Virginia is 3-0 and when Letty rushes for over 100 yards. So it's a proven recipe for success. What are your thoughts on the Longhorns' defense?
0: Yeah, they're not very good. Um, They are um, 100th in the nation on yards per play, 101st in yards per game, and 99th in points against per game. So they are just not good really across the board. Um, You know, when it comes to their run defense, you know, you hit the nail on the head. We need to run the ball against them because they've allowed 23 rushing TDs. Um, You know, they're allowing over 5.3 yards per rush. And they're not a team who really has anyone on their uh, roster who – consistently disrupts the run pl- running plays in the backfield. I mean, their leading guy with tackles for losses has five and a half. Second most is five. They have several with more than two. And this far into the season, that's really nothing. I mean, I know WVU has multiple – it seems like probably at least one or two guys who has at least one tackle for a loss a game. So um, another thing that I thought was interesting, too, is if we can get the ball, um, you know, if we're not getting first downs on first and second down, we have a really good chance of getting first downs on third and less than three. Because Texas is allowing 4.3 yards per carry on when it, the situation is third and less than three yards, so that's like they're averaging more than a first, letting teams have a, more than a first down on those situations, and it seems like WVU ends up in a lot of those situations, so we need to take advantage of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Looking at their defensive line, they got some big boys on that defensive line. So I'm a little surprised they get pushed around so much on the run defense. Um, But they they have a couple of guys over 300 pounds. Uh, We'll see how our line matches up on Saturday with that because those are some big dudes to deal with. But uh, yeah, you were kind of alluding to it. They have just 16 sacks. Um, that's not great. Compare that to West Virginia's 22. I mean, 16 doesn't sound like a lot at all. And they uh, they don't get in the backfield very often. However, they cause 14 turnovers, seven picks, seven fumble recoveries. So WVU definitely needs to emphasize ball security and not give this potent Longhorn offense short field position.
0: Yeah. And the one thing that's interesting is it seems like, you know, like we just said, running the ball is the formula for success against them. Um, in between the twenties, it's kind of a mixed bag on what you're going to do against them. Uh, they allow a 68% completion percentage. Um, they've allowed 2000 yards on the season, um, 7.9 yards per attempt, but they've only allowed five touchdowns from in between the twenties to seven interceptions. Um, So that's where you're going to turn the ball over. Now, when you get into the red zone, it's a little bit different. They're not as good. Um, So, you know, you kind of want to attack them. Um, with the run early on. Now the one area, it seems like they're pretty susceptible to um, on third down and between four and six, so third and intermediate. It seems like it's a good chance to take deep shots in those situations because teams are only completing 50% of their passes. But on those completions, guess how many yards per catch they're averaging? 30, <laughs> 18 yards. <laughs> okay.
1: per catch. I high. went way over. <laughs>
0: But, you know, third and four, um, you know, WVU kind of likes to take a conservative sometimes, run the ball in those strange situations. Um, But if they're allowing 18 yards per catch, if you can figure out a way to get back behind them, um, that's a good thing. But whenever it's third and long, they just play, you know, basically quarters coverage um, and allow you to throw underneath of them. On third and 10 plus, they're allowing an 88% completion percentage for about 10 yards per attempt, but 10 yards is less than 10 plus, so. They're just playing it safe.
1: Yeah. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me, you, you talked about their red zone defense. Um, it seems like once they allow people in the red zone, people get points. But this stuck out to me out of 39 red zone scores that they've given up, only 24 of those were touchdowns and 15 were field goals. So wow. they do seem to hunker down and make their opponents settle for three a lot in the red zone um and we'll see if that plays a factor in Morgantown because we have had some problems at certain times in the red zone it seems like you know lately we we've been a little better once we're in the red zone um but that could definitely play a big factor for a team that scores a lot
0: yeah definitely and one thing that I thought was interesting too is that um back to the passing real quick um you know WVU we know Deggy doesn't have the greatest arm strength um so we don't necessarily get a lot of long touchdowns unless they're in the 25 to 40 yard variety well texas has not allowed a single touchdown pass in between their own 39 and 21 so right. if that's where we're looking to take deep shots no team has been able to do it so far i don't know what the reasoning is behind it maybe it's just a weird statistical anomaly but it seems like again attacking via the run getting into the red zone and trying to figure out a way to score there is the best because um even though they do hold teams to field goals pretty often they're still allowing. Um, quarterbacks to complete 64 percent of their passes in the red zone um 16 touchdowns against in the red zone rushing so it seems like you know always the closer you get to the goal line the better chance you have the scoring so let's just get down there and punch the ball in a few times
1: yeah and and you know that that might be a stat they have because so many teams have had success running the ball so maybe once teams get there they just try playing it a little safer and just keep pounding the football so who knows? We'll see. They'll definitely be feasting on turnovers if we make it easy for them. So, um, <laughs> you know, they've used note for turning the ball over. So hopefully we stay away from that. Before we move on too much further, can we talk about Cameron Dicker for a second?
0: Sure. Well, like- one more thing about the defense where we jump there. Go ahead. Um, I just kind of want to highlight two players on their defense that are, you know, probably their best two, at least on paper. Moro um, Ojomo, he's a defensive tackle. He doesn't put up a lot on the stat sheet, but he is very good against the run. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. stopping holes from forming, helping his linebackers get more room. Um, And then BJ Foster, he is their strong safety and he is a playmaker. Um, He's fourth in tackles. He has two and a half tackles for a loss, um, three interceptions and one pass deflection. So he is a guy who's going to go out there and be around the ball a lot. Um, And it sounds like he's probably more of an aggressive player with those three picks. So gotta be careful
1: yeah and if I remember he leads the team in picks right yep yeah so yeah he'll he'll definitely be someone to hopefully stay away from um but yeah I just want to talk about Cameron Dicker for a minute just because I mean I know it's special teams but in terms of field position which has been a problem for us that that could really factor in he's only missed two field goals and that was early in the season I think the first two games and ever since he's been money so uh you know it stinks when you're playing an automatic kicker, because once they get into a certain range, it seems like they're going to get points. And also, the dude is like Pat McAfee. He's a stud punter as well. And that could be a big factor because, as we all know, our Mountaineers have field position problems. And if they have a kicker who can pin us deep in our own territory, that's probably going to spell disaster for us on Saturday.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, And that, that's kind of leads into the – or refers back to the point I mentioned earlier in the podcast is, you know – Texas only goes less than four plays on a drive on 7% of the time. So they're not going to go three and out very often. They're going to get at least one first down. So you think they start on their 25, 30, they're getting to the 40, and they're you have a punter like that, they're going to pin you deep. So WVU is going to have their hands full on kind of stopping them from getting those yardage. And WVU's offense has to get first downs on every possession um, because that's the only way you're going to get yourself out of that hole. I mean, it's hard to drive the ball down. 90 plus yards and score consistently. Um, I'm not sure I'm confident enough in our offense to be able to do that. Um, But if you can flip field and just go back and forth get yourself good field position, eventually, then you have a good chance of scoring more often.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And I I think they, they have that ability if they come in with the right game plan for for sure. All right. That's all I got on defense. You got anything else?
0: No, that's all I had too.
1: All right, cool. I do have some special notes. Um, I mean, we were kind of talking about this earlier with Coach Brown's depth chart. I didn't see Caden Prather on starting on the depth chart, but you also said you saw X-ray Low on mm-hmm. there. So um X Lowe, nice I just want to mention he's done for the year, unfortunately. Um, but I, w- I was thinking maybe Prather would be on the on the you know, starting position on the depth chart. I hope that doesn't mean he's not going to get increased playing time. But um, the fact that X Ray Low is still on there, maybe that doesn't mean anything. Maybe I'm just looking, I'm just digging too deep. Maybe. Well,
0: I saw, um, I saw there behind Bryce Ford Wheaton mm-hmm. on the depth chart, and they still had Sean Ryan listed as the starting Z receiver with Esdale backing him up. I'm not sure if Ezdale's coming back because I'm pretty sure he has broken ribs. Um, and Ryan, I thought got banged up last game and I know Prather played a lot on in that Z role last week. So maybe that's where he ends up playing. Um, it is kind of frustrating, you know, at least preparing for the podcast. And this is a, a personal problem. I'm going to, I'm going to vent out, but you know, not keeping the depth chart accurate and updated. Um, whenever those are released every week, um, it's kind of frustrating. I mean, um, Everyone knows that X Relo and Lance Dixon aren't going to play. They're both injured. So why even bother listing them on the the depth chart? It just kind of looks sloppy. And for someone who's supposed to be so tied up, and I know this is nitpicking uh, as Neil Brown, um, I don't like sloppy. Uh, I want, you know, let's be transparent and put the right things out there. Even if you're just to say to be determined, it's better than putting two injured guys out there.
1: Yeah, he's pulling a Bill Belichick on us there. <laughs> yeah. um, just to make a quick note, you know, I'm not trying to, like, start controversy here, but Garrett Green's ready to go, Coach Brown said in his uh, press conference. More than likely, he'll suit up. Obviously, we'll still see, you know, Jarrett Dagey out there for most of the time, but I think it's important to note that Green will be suiting up, and, he'll, you know, he'll probably get his few snaps in there, so... Um, the, the last thing I wanted to mention was the passing of Sam Huff. We, I don't think we covered that on Monday's episode. So let's talk about him a little bit. He was a West Virginia native, an absolute stud athlete, not just in college for West Virginia, but in the NFL as well. Um, played for the New York giants and Washington Redskins and had a huge impact on both teams. It's not like he went to Washington late in his career and just, you know, hung around. Um, He immediately turned that defensive around. I I think they went from being lower ranked to like second in the NFL his first year going to Washington. So um, he he won an NFL championship and then he became a color commentator. First for the Giants, but more famously, he was the color commentator for the Washington Redskins for decades. Um, He was just a special man. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. He was successful no matter what he did. And his memory will live on forever in, in Mountaineer Nation with his 75 hanging in Milan Puskar Stadium. And as it should be, he, he was one of the best players to ever play.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the one thing I always found fascinating about him doing some research for him for the article I wrote earlier this week, where I featured um, him as one of my um, magnificent mountaineers, um, is that, you know, he played defensive line at wvu and he made the switch to linebacker and that's not something that you see very often especially middle linebacker and on top of that one of the greatest head coaches of all time tom landry was the defensive coordinator of the giants and that's when he came up the 4-3 defense which centered around sam huff in the middle and that's you know just you know it's a it's a mythical kind of like story to tell because it's just kind of unreal um also of note um his offensive coordinator at the giants was vince lombardi so (laughs) some truly, truly, um, elite coaching talent around him, but he impressed them all. And that says a lot coming from coaches who I I don't know how many Super Bowls they've combined to win, but I'm sure it's more than five or six. Um, so, you know, just a really special player. Um, I, I also thought it was really interesting that he was featured on a CBS documentary kind of to help grow, um, the NFL, the violent world of Sam Huff narrated by Walter Cronkite. Um, amazing um, because he was in that era where, you know, football wasn't where it was today. It was still a minor sport trying to compete with baseball and Sam Huff became famous. I mean, he was famous for his defensive play and helped bringing the NFL into more people's homes. So not only can us at uh, Mountaineer fans, thank him for his time that he spent here in Morgantown, but the everyone who's played football, and has the hopes of becoming a professional athlete one day and making millions can thank Sam Huff for helping drive this sport um, to the heights that it is today.
1: Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. We're, we're lucky. He was a Mountaineer. And um, of course, our thoughts are with his family hearing about his passing. So um, to wrap this show up, we got our good, bad, and hope. Do you want to lead it off?
0: Sure. Um, So my good is that we are playing a depleted team when our morale seems depleted. So um, I'm really hoping that, you know, there's a couple key injuries, that there are a couple key injuries on Texas's team and we could really use something positive to happen. Um, You know, ideally coming out with like a a two score win against Texas, I think would go a long way to kind of changing people's minds about the direction that we're headed in. Um, So, I think it's the right time for this team to show up and it's Texas. So even if um, you know, we win against Texas to still win against Texas and it'll get people fired up regardless of what Texas's record ends up being um, the bad is that, you know, even though Bijan Robinson is out, this is still an elite offense. They know how to put up points. And Steve Sarkeesian is an offensive genius. He's going to figure out a way to to get past our secondary a few times, figure out to create some big holes for his running backs so, it's good. if things go wrong, it could go wrong in a hurry, and it could end up being a shootout. Which I'm not super confident that we can win a shootout right now with the way our offense is operating. My wish is that I hope I want to go out there and get one step closer to being bowl eligible. I know we still we we seem to overlook Kansas quite a bit. I don't really want to overlook them, but it's kind of hard not to. Um, but I think beating Texas will go a long way our momentum would carry us into Kansas to hopefully be able to go out there and close things out and get bowl eligible.
1: Yeah. I I actually had some similar thoughts in mine as well. Uh, My good is this is a team who's weak against the run. So, you know, if, if West Virginia goes into this game with a good offensive strategy, I think we have the potential to put up some points on the scoreboard and hopefully the Mountaineers can control clock and give our defense some decent field position, which uh, you know we've mentioned several times this podcast. I think it'll play a huge factor. Um, the bad. Same, same as yours. Texas is a team who can put up points. So it's critical for West Virginia's offense to get going early and not fall behind. Um, As we said, establishing the run game will be the key to success for our offense. And if the Mountaineers get down early, I'm scared we'll revert back to throwing the ball 90% of the time, which we saw last week. And that's just not going to lead to a victory. So we can't fall behind early. My hope, West Virginia keeps their bowl hopes alive. Um, You know, this is it. If the Mountaineers lose, then this season is basically over. And it's important to keep in mind too, we've already said this, Texas is also playing for their bowl hopes. So they aren't going to roll over and let West Virginia win. They're angry that they lost to Kansas and WVU is going to have to earn this victory. So let's hope the coaches put together a great game plan and let's hope the boys give the state of West Virginia their fifth win of the season
0: absolutely yes 100% and I'm glad we're all we're on the same page here because it I think it's kind of obvious about what WVU needs right now and you know everyone can kind of see it so hopefully the we get more people showing up at the game than what it looks like right now I know um I'm seeing some tickets out there really cheap some really great tickets so if you're listening and you have nothing to do on Saturday. You can grab some really great seats for cheap right now. Go do it. You'll enjoy yourself. Um, you can help cheer on uh, the Mountaineers. So I'm really hoping to see the the stadium full. Um, I know that that's probably not going to happen, but I at least want it loud.
1: Absolutely. We'll be there cheering them on, as always. I can't wait to go. I, I'm, I'm pretty pumped for this game. Like, I don't know. I, I get excited no matter what. I, I'm a nerd for West Virginia sports. <laughs> Absolutely. Same way. <laughs> All right, guys, um, that's it for us. As always, we really, really appreciate you guys listening and tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at the Voice of Motown podcast. Um, Once again, that's a separate page from Brad's Voice of Motown. Um, So please follow both of us and, you know, always reach out. Let us know what you like about the podcast. Let us know what you don't like and how we can improve the podcast. And, um, you know, if you're just bored and want to talk about West Virginia sports in the middle of the game, after the game, before the game, just shoot us some messages. We'll always respond to you, um, as quickly as possible. We love interacting with you guys and talking about sports. Of course, follow us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you guys enjoy getting your podcasts. We're on pretty much everything. And, uh, we drop a couple episodes a week, typically Monday or Tuesday, And then, you know, Thursday night, typically. Um, But yeah, so please look for that. You got anything to add?
0: Yeah, uh, just to kind of build off what you said. I mean, you know, if if you're shy and don't want to put something out there for everyone to read, you can shoot us a DM on uh, Facebook or Twitter or wherever you're at. Um, And then also, you know, feel free to share your thoughts on anything that we ever post. I mean, we yesterday uh, in the post that we talked about, Um, At the beginning of the podcast, we had some really good conversations with some people who are just frustrated. And, you know, we're not going to hold it against you for being frustrated. We just want to, you know, get along and kind of share what we think is happening and how we can fix things. So um, it's always great to have good conversations. And again, like we said earlier, we don't want to argue with anyone. We just kind of want to level set and figure out what's fun to chat about between the two of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, so that's it for us guys. Once again, thanks for listening and for the voice of Motown podcast, we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to everyone. Bye. Mm